CC had its roots back in the fall of 1994 when a group of believers met just maybe an eighth of a mile down the road at Dave Garrett's barn. They continued to meet on Saturday night with potlucks and snacks and times of devotions and sharing for almost a year until September the 10th, 1995, when the first Sunday service was held at the home of Larry and Bryn Stevenson. Our very own Charles Gregg preached the very first sermon from 1 Peter 4 to a group of about 45 individuals. And as I was looking at the records this past week, it read this, and I quote, Tears were shed, and love swelled in the hearts of those who attended. I said to Charlie this past Friday before he left on his trip, I said, Charlie, it sounds like you should be the preacher for the church, not me. And he said, well, I don't know today about love swelling in the hearts, but I guarantee if I preached again, there will be a lot of tears shed. <laughs> but here we are 23 years from that first Sunday service, and I'm, I'm asking you to engage in a spiritual process for the next four weeks. You know, I once heard Tony Campolo speak about a sociological study done a while back that I think has some tremendous significance for you and I living in this day and age. And in this particular study, 50 people over the age of 95 were asked one question. If you had it to do all over again, what would you do differently? If you had to do it over again, what would be different about what you would do and how you would live? Now, I don't know uh, many people over the age of 95. Some days I feel like I'm getting close to that. Uh, And as I look back over the first half of my life, I don't know where the time has gone. It seems to me at times that I just got over pimples and my hair started falling out. Aging is tough, okay? And I don't know what happened, but 95 years of age and older, 50 of them ask one question. If you had to do it over again, what would you do differently? And there was a multiplicity of answers, but among them, there were three that that just emerged that dominated everything. Now, here are the three answers that kept coming up over and over again. If we had to do it over again, these elderly people said, we would reflect more, we would risk more, and we would do more things that would live on after we were dead. Now, I think those answers are fascinating. We would reflect on this life more, we would risk more, and do more that would live on after we were gone. You know, I feel that there are really two questions that we're all going to have to answer and wrestle with over the next couple of weeks, the next few years of our life as individuals and as a church. And I want to plant these questions in your mind today. The very first question is, am I open to making an impact with the one and only life I have for God? Can we zero in and reflect on those things that have ultimate significance? Not an impact that just lasts for the next four weeks, and and even beyond that, even beyond the next 23 years of this church's existence, one that is felt for eternity. Am I open to making an impact for God? And, And here's the second question. Am I open to being impacted by God? You see, I believe that if we come with sincere hearts before the scriptures, with sincere hearts before the Lord, that that he and the Holy Spirit just long to impact us in our lives. And as I said last week, we're not going to ask for God to do a miracle for us. Rather, we're praying that God would do a miracle through us as believers. 
We're going to ask God for his guidance towards a vision that we believe he sets out for us in Scripture. Now, I know anytime we talk about mission and vision and sacrifice, uh, right away, it's going to make several different groups of people uncomfortable in this room. I mean, can we just acknowledge right at the start the elephant in the room? Last week, I made it a point to say that, that for those of us that are already a part of this gathering of believers, it's going to mean all hands on deck. That everyone here has a task, has a service, has a job to participate in the success of the kingdom of God, in the success of the Springfield Church of Christ. And one of those groups that may be uncomfortable are those of you that are maybe new to SCC, and maybe even new to Christianity. And maybe you're just kind of investigating the Christian faith, and you're going, oh, wait a minute, this is one of those kinds of churches. You know, he's one of those kinds of preachers. They're not going to be happy with me just coming and enjoying Sunday services. They're going to expect me to get involved. They're going to even expect me to give. I'll bet you that preacher even has a home in the best area of Springfield. He's probably even got a Tesla that he's driving out back. And and friends, that's not true. I keep my Tesla at home in the garage. No, I drive a 2006 Chrysler Town & Country minivan uh, that we bought used, actually. And and you know what? If you feel that way, I get that. I understand that. And I don't blame you a bit for feeling that way. Because there are plenty of pastors out there. There are plenty of churches out there that have given you plenty of reason to be suspicious. But can I just say this? I hope through this series that you can just take a deep breath, and just relax. And I hope you'll come and listen. And I hope that you'll hear the vision of this church. And I hope you'll hear the heartbeat of the church as Christ intended it to be in this place. Now there's another group of people here who are probably uncomfortable because maybe you're a follower of Jesus already. And you say, Bill, right now I am going through One of the most single, difficult, emotional, and financial times in my life right now. I can't add one single thing more to my plate. Life has just been hard, and maybe the economy just has you bushwhacked. And even though Washington says that the economy's on the rebound, unemployment in Springfield is still at 5.3%. You see, we have SCCers who have been looking for work for months. We have people in this fellowship that that still aren't able to fix their cars, that are still working to put food barely on their table. And maybe you're on the cusp of, of losing your home or you're struggling to pay the bills as they come in. You know, every month I see between four to five different individuals or families that we as a church help out with food or gas. And some of you hear me talk about a vision and making an impact for Christ. And and you say, making an impact for Christ now? Bill, there's no way I can even think about that right now. And I want you to know that I love you. And I want you to know right now, this church cares about you. You are an important part of this church. And maybe this is a time in your life where the church can be the church to you. The church and its members often directly without ever going through the offering plate or through the financial team of this church. 
I know because I hear the stories and people tell me about the times that there are those in this church that give thousands every year to church members and to people in this community that are going through times like that. And so I just want you to know, as we talk about this, we are here for you right now. And I want to set your hearts at ease. Now for the rest of you, I want you, if you have your scripture with you this morning, I want you to open with me to Acts, the first chapter. We've talked about the mission of the church in Matthew 28. I want to talk about those specifics of the vision of the church. It comes originally to us there in Acts chapter 1. The the followers of Jesus, they are on a high. And the reason is, just like we sang, is that, that he was dead and now he's alive. Jesus was in the grave. Now the stone has been rolled away. He's standing before them in their presence. They can see him with their eyes. They can converse with him. And he's about to ascend back into heaven until the day he comes back for us in his second coming. And he gives them these parting words, the original level up vision of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I want you to look at this with me. Jesus says, but you... And by the way, I want you to notice how many times he uses the word you in this one verse. He doesn't say y'all, he says you, okay? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Anybody know where Jesus was when he spoke those words to his disciples? Yeah. He's in Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus is saying to them, I want you just to start right where you are. I want you to start with your family. I want you to start with your neighborhood. I want you to start at your school or in your college campus. I want you to start in your workplace. I just want you to start there, and then I want you to trust me. And I want you to move on to Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria were areas beyond Jerusalem, and and even though they were close, they were areas that were culturally very different. They were racially very different than Jerusalem, and so to go beyond to Judea and Samaria for them would have been to go beyond their comfort zone. And then, guys, Jesus says, I want you you to go global with this, this thing. I want you to go to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and eventually to the entire globe. Friend, this is the original leveling up vision of the church. This is how we know, are we balanced in the scale? Are we fulfilling the mission that Christ gave us? And it comes straight from the lips of Jesus. Well, in Acts chapter 1, he calls them to this vision. And then in Acts chapter 2 and forward, we see them making that impact, answering those two big questions. And it's showing how on the level they really are. Acts chapter 2 begins, and, and the church is born. And the Holy Spirit comes and empowers these believers. Jesus' words come true. You will receive power. And they start witnessing. They start talking in their lives about the experiences that they've had with Jesus Christ. And they start proclaiming to the thousands that were in Jerusalem that day about God who came in the flesh to this earth to live a sinless life. He he died, he was buried, he was raised again. He's alive today. 
And he offers amazing grace and hope and purpose and meaning for our lives. And thousands of people that day decided they wanted to be filled with the passion for this man. They wanted to be filled with the passion as those disciples were and pursue God with their lives. And that same power that flowed to them, it flows to us. You are Holy Spirit people. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you can overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, he said, I pray out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. To what end? So that like those first disciples, we can pursue God. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, they launched their faith in Jesus and they expressed their faith in him by coming and being baptized. Look what it says in Acts 2, 41. Those who accepted his message, Peter's message, were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That same day. Not weeks later, not months later, certainly not years later. It was that same day. And I've been praying that for some of you. That you would pursue God today. That you would express your faith in the gift of the here and now and be baptized into him. Some of you are looking at the second half of your life. Maybe you're living in the third quarter of your life. I want you to hear what a man named Bob Buford wrote. He wrote a book called Halftime. He said this, For the second half of life to be better than the first, you have to make a decision to step outside of the safety of living on autopilot. You know what he's talking about? We must wrestle with who you are, why you believe, what you profess to believe about your life. And what you do to provide structure and meaning in your daily activities and relationships. The key to a successful second half, it's not a change of jobs. It's a change of heart. It's a change of the way you view the world and order your life. And in Acts chapter 2 verse 47, that's what they did. They got busy. It says they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. Those who were being saved and the church started growing. But we learn also they were committed to building a deep unity with each other, deep relationships. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to, to Bible study, and to fellowship, meaning their relationships, their connection to one another, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were devoted to that. Verse 46 says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. Literally, that means they broke bread from house to house. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. In other words, they took Jesus home with them. They took their faith to their neighborhoods. And they were inspiring each other with their fully devoted hearts. And they were so moved by God's heartbeat for people in need of grace. For people in need of restoration and relationship and of mercy and forgiveness and acceptance that it bled into their financial needs as well. And they go on to unleash compassion 
in an incredible way in a world of so many people in need. I want to show you a couple of verses here that, that will stretch you. And I say that because every time I see these, they stretch me too. The first is Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. It says there, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I want you to notice, they actually sold their possessions. They liquidated some of their assets to meet other people's needs. Now, I don't see that happen very much in our world today. In fact, that is so counterintuitive to our culture. Most of the time, when I think about being generous in my faith, I think about how much time can I give, you know? How much of my talent can I share if, if I can understand what that talent is? And then what can I give from my income? And, and maybe that's what you do, but not them. I mean, these, these guys, they sold their Xbox. They sold their PlayStation to advance the kingdom of God. They, they gave up their timeshare at the condo in Florida to advance God's kingdom. They gave it up, and it sounds radical to us but it was normative it was everyday life to them let me show you another verse just a few pages over in acts chapter 4 verse 33 acts 433 says with great power the apostles they continued to testify to the resurrection of the lord jesus and god's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them i mean can you imagine that there's not a person here that has a need. For from time to time, the scriptures say, those who own land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. I mean, can you imagine that? Nobody had a need. Why did I share all those verses with you so far in, in the book of Acts this morning? I just want you to recognize that, that, that my vision, that our vision for this church, it's nothing new. It's 2,000 years old. Our goal is to make an exponential impact in the name of Jesus Christ as a body of believers for the next 23 years. You remember the goals that I set out for you last week? They were very simple. First, follows along with this pattern, pursue God. I said, I want to help the 1% of the 12,600 people that live within 10 miles of this church passionately find and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's 126 people. Friends, that's within reach. That's not unreasonable within the next few years. You know, for 23 years, this church has primarily reached a narrow band of individuals in Clark County, not exclusively, but predominantly, and this has kind of been our Jerusalem. But we believe that Jesus is also calling us to Judea and Samaria. And so the next thing I challenged you with was building community, to balance out and level up to Jesus' vision for the church. And I want to take the presence of Jesus, I want to take the name of Jesus with us, as the song says, into every neighborhood within 5, 10, and 15 miles of this church. Into people's lives who've never heard the name of Jesus Christ, who've never experienced what His grace and forgiveness is all about. And I want to take those small home Bible studies with us throughout Clark County. And like the Acts 2 church where they met from house to house, I think that can be us. And then I gave you a vision to radically unleash compassion. 
by tripling the number of volunteers we have in our ministry teams within five years. People who care about the poor. People who care about the children in this community. People who care about the senior citizens in this community, the disenfranchised, the the marginalized, the forgotten of this world. People who still believe in the power of Jesus Christ, in the passion of His love, in the message of the cross to change lives. And here's the thing. This is nothing new for the Springfield Church of Christ. This church has been seeking balance. It has been trying to level up to Christ for 23 years. And you know what? I've got historic proof of that today. Let me show you the original leveling up dream team. Take a look at this picture. You're going to see there in the front row, uh, and these are from the groundbreaking of, of this church, Sunday, October the 31st, 1999. That husband and wife there with the shovel in their hand. How many of you know who that is? Who is it? Jim and Evelyn Rutherford. Now, I didn't know Evelyn. She was gone before I came, but I knew Jim. One of the godliest men I've ever met. One one man who had a heart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. A man who loved the Lord. Who had a privilege, I think, in his heart of meeting new people. And, And if you look behind them with his arms folded... See that guy with that thick head of bushy hair? That's Charlie Gregg right there, you know? What happened, right? I mean, and, and off to the right, there's the Brohards. There's Angie and, and Brad. There's his 101-year-old mother, Gladys, in the front. Standing in the very back, I don't know if you can see the, the, the sunglasses back there. It's Pam Nichols and Bo Nichols in the back there. Now I want you to see some even more on this. Show me the next picture up here. Take, oh, one back. Look at there, there's, there's Peggy and Paul Myers right there in the front row. You guys look all the way on this side here. That's Peggy Wright right there, sitting right here this morning. You look further down the line, you see Ron and Sharon Jennings. They're up there too. People, all that I love and respect and admire of this church. There has been, friends, a leveling up attitude in this church right from the beginning. You've had the preaching of men like Bill Brevard and Sean McMullen, Lee Mason, Art Merkel. I don't know if you realize you've got some of the finest preachers that have come through this church in the restoration movement. From the first communion shared September the 10th of 1995 at the Stevenson's until now, whether it was clearing a field here, whether it was sweating to put a roof on, to work on the building, sacrificing when there were dual services at one time or, or adding extra staff, There has been a passion for Jesus in the DNA of this church for many years. And friends, we can bury it, we can deny it, or we can get sick, or we can level up to the goodness that God has given us, to what he's created us to be in him. Now let me show you that next picture. Here's a level up kind of guy. Again, something about these guys with great hair, I guess. Uh, This is from the Springfield New Sun. Uh, of course, this is February 19th of 2000. That's Mike Sergner. And, and if you know Mike, he was, he's a personable pastor. And he got this church thinking about souls beyond the end of our driveway. Souls in this community, people in our own backyard that needed Jesus. And I want you to look at that headline. Would you read that headline out loud with me? Congregation can be called a family. Now let me focus past that handsome mug to something that's written right down here at the bottom. Show me the next one up here. (coughs) Friends, I don't know if you can read this. I I can't read it very well either because I had to blow it up. 
But you see where it says known for right there? Look at this. We are known for, our desire is to restore the church to the pattern laid out by Jesus through the apostles in the book of Acts that we just read. Our scriptural themes are Jesus' last commandment is our first priority. That's our mission in Matthew 28. And he goes on to say, uh, we have a passion for God and a compassion for people. Matthew 22, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Colossians 4, 5, everyone needs a large group worship, a small group worship, and a personal worship. Acts 5, 42, and every member a ministry because every member is a minister. 1 Peter 2.9. You know, I looked through that this past week and I thought, you know, to God be the glory. Right at the start, that's the evidence of the DNA. Everything that the scripture outlines and it's impacted lives in ways that, that you will have no idea. Strong biblical teaching, ministry, vision, and here we are again. And I'm challenging you, Springfield Church of Christ, to imagine a different future because Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Are you ready to take some of the biggest steps of faith in the history and the life of this church? Why? Because every week we go, we are one week closer to the return of our Lord and King And we've got plenty of room in this church for the three things that each of you bring every week. Your babies, your Buicks, and your bottoms right here, okay? And if you don't like that, you know, we can say we've got room for your kids, your cars, and your keister. Either way, you know, we need more family to grow this family. And we need something special. We need something supernatural from the hand of God to see it happen. And so... I'm challenging you to show up with passion. Commit to building community and unleash compassion because that's what the vision of this Acts chapter 2 church was. That was our vision in the start. One life, one family, one home, one neighborhood at a time. Now, I don't want any of you to have any question about what this Level Up series is all about or what it's not about. So let me share with you very quickly, and we'll close, four purposes behind those two big questions that I think every one of us need to answer. Again, am I open to making an impact for God? And then am I open to being impacted by God? So let me give you the fourfold purpose of leveling up. First of all, I am calling everyone here to embody this vision through love. You remember the parable that Jesus told in Luke 15, verses 1 through 7? He told about the shepherd who had 99 sheep in his fold and, and one of the sheep was lost. And so what did he do? Well, Jesus said, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Friends, this this is a leveling up mission to find the lost sheep. And as long as there is one lost person within the driving distance of this church that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, can we say that we're going to go after them to reach them? That's our goal. Did you know how many people were on the charter membership role of this church when it was first built? 101 Dalmatians. Okay? 101 souls. 
you know, and, and they didn't have any spots, but they were looking to spot the one lost sheep. See what I did there? I like that. 101. They didn't build a building to have a building. They built a building to reach people. And so the question is, will we do whatever it takes? Will we slaughter the sacred cows of routine or method or music or whatever it is to reach one more soul for Jesus Christ? Now, I don't know how many of you have seen Thornton Wilder's play, Our Town. Back when I was young, it made the run of all the high schools. In fact, you saw it whether you wanted to or not because it was out there. But in this play, there was a character named Emily, and Emily dies giving birth uh, to a child. And then in the afterlife, she's allowed the opportunity to return and revisit one day in her life. And Emily chooses to go back and revisit her 12th birthday. She goes back and she watches her family live out that day. And the angels warned her not to do it, but she does it. And then she understands why they told her not to do it. You see, as she watches her family and herself live out that day, she is shocked by the fact that none of them are really entering into the experiences, that none of them are showing sufficient appreciation and awareness for how precious the moment is. And she yells at her family, who of course cannot hear her. She yells at herself, even though she can't hear herself. And she says, don't you understand Don't you understand? You won't have this moment forever. Don't you understand that? And then she turns to the audience in the play and she yells at the audience, do any of you, do any of you ever really live life when you're alive? That's a good question, Christians. Do any of us really live life while we're alive? Let me tell you what, This Christian life is all about. It's not just about getting to go to heaven when we die. It's about being indwelled by the one who opens your eyes, who fills your life with power, who enlivens you to truly appreciate your spouse, your husbands, your wife, your children, and every soul that you lay eyes on. To take the moment. And friends, we are not called to complain about the work We weren't called to complain about the appetite of the sheep. We were called to follow Jesus, and it is a labor of love. Now, our second purpose is to advance this vision through serving. Advance the vision through serving. And I got to tell you, I am so excited on Wednesday. It's one of my favorite days of the week. You know why? Because I come in here and I get to see some dedicated individuals cleaning in this church building. Or I come in and there's still fog outside. The grass is still damp and I look out and there's Elvin McIntosh mowing the yard. Or I look and see Adam mowing. I see the ladies decorating with greenery and flowers. Or or like this past Sunday when we had the pie social, we had some of the neatest table decorations that, that Sandra had made and set up. And so many of you, you work on ministry teams and you encourage other people so much and we want to see uh, others using and employing their spiritual gift every week we've got two guys sitting back here in a booth working on the sound and the video they give up the time sitting with their families to help lead us in worship we've got men and women who teach upstairs 
And Susan is always looking for teachers. And when God touches someone's heart and she says, look, I need someone to teach the twos and threes. And someone says, okay, I'm willing to do that. It excites the heart. Volunteers who who give testimony to the truth of of God's word. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.16, from Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament It grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let me just sum it up by asking you this one question. Friends, one day when you leave this world, when you die, are we going to stand around your grave and are we going to read titles and accomplishments in your life? Or are we going to stand around and give testimony? Are we going to talk about how our lives We're impacted because your life was impacted by God. Well, the last two that you have there, uh, and I'll just give you these quickly because I know the time's late. We're going to resource this vision through sacrifice. And the fourth one is we need to undergird this vision through prayer. And I think those two go together. Because, friends, if you're going to become Christ-like in any way, you're going to have to understand what it means to live sacrificially and to live connected to your heavenly Father. You see, we, we can ask for this place to be lifted up of each other. We can, we can ask each other what we're doing to roll up our sleeves and to serve, but this place will not see a move of God by just offering passing prayers alone. It's going to take serious, intentional times of going down on your knees before God and being courageous. Friends, hear me. We will only experience a miracle in this place in the next few months if massive amounts of people fall on their knees and pray. Let me close with the story of one man. He told this of his life. He said, I was in my 30s and I'd already fulfilled my teenage dream. I was the president and chairman of my own cable company. I had a vital marriage to my wife, Linda, and I had a little boy named Ross, He was exactly everything that a father hoped for. I was active in my church, and I found time to grow intellectually and culturally. Add to that, I had the Jaguar. I had the great-looking house. I had the exotic vacations, and I'd made it, or so I thought. Like a thief in the night, he said, the quiet intruder began disturbing my peace of mind, picking at the trappings of my life. I had long since arrived at, indeed surpassed my goals for the accumulation of of wealth. But now I began to question where all the success was leading me. I perfected the art of the deal and, and took great pleasure in acquiring new assets. But how much was enough? And more importantly, what was I passing up in the process? The increasing turmoil over the direction of my life had brought me to a strategic business consultant. This guy works with some of the leading companies in the country, and I thought, if anybody can help me figure out what to do in the coming years of my life, this guy is the one. But he said he ignored all my spreadsheets. He ignored my list of future projects and notes about my strengths and weaknesses. And this high-priced consultant asked me one question. He said, what's in the box? He said, before we can go on and I can help you set a compass for the rest of your life, I've got to know, 
What's the most important thing in your life? And he said, I want you to envision in your mind a box in in which you would place your life's greatest treasure. Now, earning a lot of money and growing my business, it didn't give me the satisfaction it once did. And I wondered, maybe I should quit. Maybe I should head in a completely different direction career-wise. And I, I tried to explain how I believed in God, but didn't really know what to do with that belief. I developed the habit of going to church from my earliest days, and I was active uh, despite my busy career. As a youngster, I even toyed with the crazy idea of becoming a minister, he wrote, but I opted out for my family business. But now that I'd done so well, I wondered, maybe I need to be in a service-oriented industry. But this man led me back to the box. And this time he got more specific. He said, I want you to draw a little square in the middle of your legal pad. And he gave me this assignment. He said, I've been listening to you for two hours. And I can't help you do a thing until you put one thing in that box. For you, it's either money or Jesus Christ. So I want you to draw a symbol in the box. You either draw a dollar sign or you draw a cross in that little box. My consultant was telling me, you you choose wealth or you choose God. He said, I thought hard about that. I wasn't sure what I wanted to commit my life to because if I said God, he might tell me to give up my business, to to sell everything I had and go live in a monastery or something. I felt God was a pretty good deal as long as he didn't get in the way too much. But it was precisely my keeping him at arm's length that was causing me so much turmoil in my life. And so taking my pen and a deep breath, I drew a little cross in that middle of the box that I'd sketched on my legal pad, and I was saying in that moment, God, I'm yours. Nothing in my life is as important to me from now on as you. Can you say that this morning? 23 years ago, a much younger chairman of the building committee, Ron Jennings, led in prayer. And the church stood to sing as this church's Foundations were laid. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. And with his own blood he bought her. And for her life he died. Friends, is his death in your life what has brought you grace and forgiveness and mercy and destiny, and hope, and fulfillment? If it isn't, this is the time of the service when decisions are made. And maybe it's time for you to answer that question, I need God to make an impact on my life, and no greater impact will come except that you give your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. We're going to sing, Seek Ye First, which is an appropriate song. Because if you seek first the kingdom of God, he says all these other things, they'll be added to you as well. But friends, we've got to fill in that little box. Will you put time with your family? Will you put your career? Will you put your vacations? Will you put your retirement? Or will you put Jesus there? Whatever your need, you come as we sing.